Got time for a quick story. Uh, The story of Genesis continues. In March, Genesis, the band, had what by all accounts is their final show in London. They've had the last domino tour, and I put it like a question mark because because there was a question mark at the end of the last domino. Like, is this really the last tour of Genesis? Well, at the show in March of 2022, the last uh, tour date, Phil Collins on stage said, you may remember hearing about this, that was the last Genesis show. No qualifications, no condition. That was it. That does not mean the music of Genesis in a live setting is over. There are, uh, there are, Phil Collins may well be retired from performing once and for all. Mike Rutherford, of course, continues with Mike and the Mechanics. Peter Gabriel will have more elements on stage and in the studio. And Steve Hackett has been keeping what he, what you'll hear in this interview as the spirit of Genesis alive. He does, as you may be familiar with, Genesis Revisited. Brings out the music of Genesis from when he was in the band in the early to mid-1970s. And breathes life into it on a regular basis. He is touring constantly in addition to constant new music. If you want to truly get that spirit of Genesis, you want to go to a live show of, of his. And if you were a fan of the album Seconds Out, the second Genesis live album that came out in 1977, well, you were recently in for a treat because... His band recently did Seconds Out in its entirety, which has led to the live album Genesis Revisited, Seconds Out, and more. So I get the chance once again to talk to Steve Hackett. Every time is an honor, and I get an honor once again to talk to him about this live album and the work of putting these songs from that live album, Seconds Out, and other songs into this collection and more. A great, fascinating chat with Steve Hackett. Here it is. Well, we're talking again with Steve Hackett. It's always good to chat with him. He's got uh, a new release out, which happens a lot, which is very good for an for an artist. We always get new material or new compilations of material, and that's the latter here. Genesis Revisited Live, Seconds Out, and more. It's, I, I mean, in, in the annals of Genesis live albums, it's it. It's either my favorite or my second favorite. I've always had a bit of a thing for the shorts and the longs because that was when I was really starting to get into the band. But then Seconds Out is probably one of the more hefty ones, if you will. Um, Why recreate this particular album live right now or or, or on a tour over the last year? Um, My goodness me. Um, I I made up my mind to start delivering whole Genesis albums. Um, I, I was always doing... Uh, cherry-picking across the best dolls. Um, but I decided, first of all, to do Selling England by the Pound when it was one of its anniversaries. Um, and um, its successor, I felt, you know, in spirit, was really Seconds Out, which involved some of the best dolls, that. But um, uh, so the release is, which is coming out today, at least in the UK. I'm not sure if it's the same simultaneous release in the States, but it's released today, and um, I'm really thrilled with the sound of it. Um, but I will be on tour doing Foxtrot soon, and then I'm coming back to the States, and we're going to do 
second round again. So I'm delivering things that, that go back three years ago. People bought tickets for shows that which were postponed but not cancelled. And so I'm delivering in different parts of the world whatever was on the packet or promised way back in the day before the world got sick. So that's my... That's my uh, comprehensive answer to your question. Um, and as I speak, I wanted to, to completely verify that it was out because as of the recording of this is September 2nd and here in the States, it's the morning of. And lo and behold, there it is on Spotify and, and I'm seeing it right now. And as I'm looking at it, um, I've already listened and, and you know this, but for anyone listening right now, I've already listened, got the, the advanced preview. So I know what to, know what to talk about in, in the interview here. But the cover um, for anyone who knows, that looks pretty close to the cover of the original Seconds Out. I have to imagine that was intentional. It was absolutely intentional to give people a complete revisit and to make it recognizable. Um, I know that it was a lot of people's favorite Genesis album, but I do believe that um, celebrating the early material and honoring that stuff that we all sweated blood to write back in the day um, I wanted to make sure that, that the production values were not just the same or up to par, but increased. So that just a little bit, you know, uh, I think the sound of the album is arguably more powerful. The drums are more ambient, they are more compressed, there's a wonderful sound. And I think the performance of the band doesn't sound small, the guitar sound is better. Um, I won't argue for the rest because, you know, people will have their favorites and say, oh, Phil's my favorite drummer, etc., etc." But I'm just talking about, in terms of the technical quality of it, I do believe that if you played it side by side, most people would say, yeah, I think it sounds more powerful. It, it, it sounds very similar, too, and that's, that's obviously a thing. If you're going to do a thing called Genesis Revisited and you were in the band, you'd probably want to try to recreate some of the particular sounds as I'm listening to some of the synthesizer solos. I'm thinking, like, right now, Robbery, Assault, and Battery is, is floating through my head, and I'm, and I'm thinking of the synthesizer yep. solos and the keyboard solos. And, yep. and yep. trying to achieve that accuracy, is that, is that a matter of, of the band, your keyboardist, finding like the right patch to get that just right? Because you're obviously not going to be taking out 70s e equipment, <laughs> equipment and such. Like you're no. not trucking a Mellotron across the world anymore. But no. is that essentially what you're doing? Well, I think that, you know, uh, uh, Roger King is very good at, at observing what was there in the first place. But often we'll twin what was keyboard lines with, um, with, with brass or with... Um, woodwind and um to try and expand it and take the spirit of the original but um anytime it was heading towards being slightly symphonic or choral uh we've taken it a stage further and when i've re-recorded re some of these things in the studio as i have done with quite a lot of genesis material i've sometimes added an orchestra i've sometimes had an orchestra with it live and in order to, to flesh it out and to take those those early attempts at something that sounds like it might have come out of the concert hall in a different kind of way that, that had a nod to symphonies and concertos and all of that, and to take it further and, and, and um, have it breathe. What, and you kind of touched on this right now, it leads perfect to the next question about being faithful to the original arrangements 
And yeah. I mean, if you want to take it even a, a step more, more micro and being faithful yeah. to the way the seconds out arrangements were and the way that, that the band was doing arrangements on the on the 77 tour and also the 76 tour, yeah. because some of the contents on that actual album versus making yeah. those alterations you were referencing and the ones that jump out at me, and you've done these alterations before, but hearing them in the context of Second Sound, like like I know what I like is a bit of a bouncier feel to it. Sometimes you have, you know, like was it was it saxophone or I can't blanking on the instrument right off the top of my head, but it's it's different than it was on that particular tour. How do you know when to make an alteration to an original, and you know the fans are going to ride with you on that versus well, we better keep this as is or. You know how Genesis fans sometimes go. They'll be like, hey, why oh, yes, are you no, singing I, that? I understand that, that Genesis fans uh, were happy when we did variations upon the original, when we did it live back in the day. Okay. But I've got this idea of it not being revolutionary, but evolutionary. And I think that um, when you allow the guys to run with the ball and take things further, I mean, for instance, to do a track such as cinema show. Um, now, when Rob Townsend does woodwind stuff and uses um, a, a penny whistle on it, um, during the instrumental section, I, I think that it only heightens it to take it into improvised areas while the backing is basically fairly similar to the original. Of course, on the original recorded version, we had sped up guitar during all sorts of fast things, but it wasn't particularly accurate. And I think that when you hear it now, it's it's much cleaner, and um, it varies it for me in a satisfying way. I mean, for instance, if um, you know the diehards, I, I, when I recorded some stuff at Hammersmith, um, uh, the flute solo on Earth of Fist, um, Rob picked up the soprano sax which I think helps the melody enormously. And the guy started out, you know, use the flute. You know, the, the truth is that I'm, I'm not after a reproducing the thing exactly. We're, we're not a tribute band. It, this stuff evolves. I'm one of the writers of this stuff, and I want this stuff to fly. Um, it's important that it honors the spirit of the original, but we're not slaves to it. Um, and so when you get a variation, I'm only too happy to hear it. If you want it exactly the same, then play the album. Fine, you know. Um, but I want it to be expanded. I don't want you know the choir to sound exactly like the Mellotron choir back then. I want something that's that's cleaner and brighter and sounds um, um, more obviously choral. And so, you know, everything I do is, is to improve improve the sound. And I do believe the guitar sound is better. Unless what you like is, um, you know, a guitar through a fuzz box with excessive chorus on the whole thing, which is what the original had and, and, and at times inaudible. I remember Tony Banks saying very proudly, yeah, we mixed these out of the, out of, out of the picture on that. Well, what you get by comparison is you get clarity, you get improved tone, and all the rest. But I, I, I may be, you know, pissing in the wind here. And, and you know, for, for those who consider it to be the gospel from on high, um, that, isn't, that isn't the way I see it. 
I don't see anything as beyond improvement. I mean, I was listening the other day while I was rehearsing stuff from Foxtrot. I was listening to a version of Water of the Sky, for instance. And I thought I was listening to the original live version from from um, from Leicester, De Montfort Hall. And then about halfway through, I realized it was actually my band recorded at, at the Liverpool Philharmonic Hall. And I thought, damn, you know, um, Peter sounds really good on this. Um, but I realized it was Mad Sylvan singing it. And, uh, and the Melotron sound sounded absolutely mighty. And the crowd roared in, in the same way. And... Um, for me, you know, I'm, I'm proud of those things, but, you know, we will add things to the Mellotron so you get the spirit of it, but it's fuller. Not only do we use Mellotron samples before they've gone through the Mellotron, um, the original tapes that were recorded, Three Women in a Bedroom in 1953, uh, somewhere around the New York area, um, we add to that with modern samples so it doesn't just go thin and and nasty and distorted, but with modern samples that, that perhaps give it back its symphonic aspirations back in the day. So I don't want to get too pedantic about this, but um, I, what I can say is to people, listen for yourself and see if you enjoy the, um, the updates. Well, and the another way of looking at recorded versus live is recording is when you're putting it down, you put it on tape, and there are all the studio circumstances and record issuing timetable. There's all of that, and then you get to to live with a song and develop it as as it goes. I can think of certain aspects of, say, like the last Domino that were changed immediately after the after Invisible Touch came out, and they were the same right up through the last Domino tour. This past year, and that's how it's been ever since. And I have to imagine that was a decision on the part of was probably Tony. I'm thinking of some of his keyboard parts that probably went. I'd rather do it this way. Maybe it was a live setting. Maybe it was just his choice. And that's the way it's been. And really, that's the song. So in in your case, it, it kind of in a, a similar sort of question about as you perform them live. Is there anything that you found in all these Genesis revisited shows and such? or anytime you perform material from the band where you go, now we have the opportunity, now I have the opportunity to do something that I kind of always wanted to do, but we couldn't do it in the studio, we couldn't do it live back in 73, 74, etc., but we can do it now, and this is really how I, as a writer, envisioned it to be. Yeah, well, I, I would say, you know, some of... Um, I, I'll quote Watch of the Skies, because that's something that I was... Always, I loved you know the Foxtrot album, but I was very disappointed with uh, the sound of the Mellotron at the beginning, the size of it, which sounds kind of boxy. So when I did a re-record of it, I tried to honour the spirit of the way it sounded when we first played that and wrote some of it in Italian palace sports. You know, before it was finished at Soundcheck, we were doing that, and, and the close team were getting thrilled at that. You know, our promoters, etc. And be, but that shook the foundations, and there was a lot of ambience with it, you know, in the sports halls. So when I did a, a re-record on Genesis Revisited Number 1 with Bill Bruford and John Wetton, the late, great John Wetton, um, I absolutely flooded it with reverb. And not only that, I used a symphony orchestra as well. I mean, we had the Royal Philharmonic on that, as well as the Mellotron. So you've got 
the best of both worlds. You've got a machine attempting to be an orchestra and an orchestra attempting to be a melotron. And what you get is something hugely powerful and absolutely symphonic. So, you know, you get the ostinato moments, the kind of fanfare stuff at the end of that melotron intro. And we added brass to make it um, sound truly Cecil B. DeMille. Um, that was how I saw it. I, I always wanted Genesis to become an orchestra and start to use an orchestra in the way that the Beatles um, were mature enough to down their own instruments at times and to have the old instruments there under the banner of, uh, or the baton of uh, George Martin. And for me, that's when the, the Beatles became truly interesting, when they stopped being a mere pop group and took on board not just symphony orchestra um, input, but also um, world music, the invitation of all those musicians from way across the water. And they started to really blossom, and, and every musician in the world pricked up their ears and went, ah, this is interesting. They have transcended their, their limitations and their roots, and even though that stuff from the early days was, was great, you know, this has become um, truly mighty. It's, it's, um, there, there's a search for identity versus the idea of real improvement and stepping outside the confines of what you are personally capable of and um, to perhaps um, hand it over is, is, is one word, but it's, it's more than that. I'm searching for the right word here. When you, when you say, um, I love what other people can do, every instrument has got its place, even the humble triangle. And when that era started to happen, um, we referred to it laughingly as the psychedelic era, but somehow, um, if you ask a lot of musicians, they'll, they'll say, yes, their favorite track is Iron the Walrus because you've got a rock band plus a symphony orchestra in tow and aspects of big band and cartoon work and Disney-esque stuff. And the first time you heard that, you didn't know who it was. And that was where music really started to shake the walls of the city. Why did you choose the additional tracks uh, to perform on this tour, i.e. The Devil's Cathedral, some a couple of the Spectral Morning songs? How was the dis- or what was the decision process for the the solo Hackett part of the early part of the show? Um, because um, most of those songs were road tested, and um, stuff like Clocks used to bring the house down. Stuff like Every Day has always had a very good reception. Um, and I did two things from the current album. Um, the current album was uh, Surrender of Silence, the current studio album. Um, Devil's Cathedral was always written in a Genesis style, but then you've got the addition of pipe organ and soprano sax. Now, soprano sax, you could argue, is a profane instrument from jazz, and you've got pipe organ, which is associated with sacred music. But those guys are improvising around octatonic scales, and it's different every night, and it's always wonderful, and it's always really out there. So you've got 
mixture of jazz and classical influences just for the intro alone. And then we go into the band work, which I think honors the spirit of a lot of what Genesis did. Um, something that doesn't falter and is surprising where the energy just goes up and up and up as it perhaps gets faster and faster and more and more furious. And for me, I find that very much in the spirit of favorite Genesis songs, such as Dancing with the Moonlit Night, where something starts out as one thing, but it becomes another. So that's that song. And plus I wanted to do one of the others, which is Holding the Shadows, um, which I felt would take off truly. If, unlike the, 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 uh, the version that's on record, we allow it to where we have trading phrases with um, with Rob Townsend and myself. So um, uh, soprano sax becomes tenor sax or alto later on, and um, guitars there the whole time. But uh, it's the kind of stuff where I was really going for it. It's slightly psychedelic on the on the recorded version, the studio version, but live it becomes something else. Um, just to give people, you know, a couple of glimpses of the stuff that's current as well as the stuff that's um, still valid but antique. You know, all of these these um, revisits um, are, you know, in in rock and roll terms, to go back 45 years or 50 years in, in the case of some of this stuff, um, you're talking about antique in, in rock and roll terms. And... Um, it's important to have the new stuff as well, as far as I'm concerned, even though there's just a few things in there, and it's a much shorter set, uh, but we do the whole of, for instance, um, Shadow of the Hierophant. Now, um, that was from 1975. Now, some of that stuff had been rehearsed by Genesis in 72, when we were putting together what was to become Foxtrot, but there were many things that didn't make it onto the album at the time that I felt were potentially brilliant, and one or two of those things became huge hits subsequently. So with a with a with a um, with a revisit, I'm able to do that. But I wanted to give people a glimpse again at the the power of the early work of the band, and um, I think that that takes off in such a huge way. Um, Shadow of the Hierophant is always received when it's done in its entirety. Um, in a huge way, because it, it really shakes the foundations of, of the building, something that starts out very, very quietly, the section that has blocking spiel at the front, and and then absolutely thunders, gets louder and louder on a repeated pattern. Um, it's compelling live. I know that it's very emotional for me when I'm playing it, so it's got the aspect of Greek tragedy, the Oresteia, all of those things that I think that Genesis Spirit um, headed towards in, in the early days, which is why it survived. It has survived reinterpretations by school bands, by tribute bands, by orchestras, by jazz people. And so it's a testament to the quality of the writing that we had so many things that uh, we were able to sideline some things, bring them back the following year. And for instance, I know what I like, um, was a reject. Um, it was something I kicked off with the band in 1972. It was rejected only to be um, taken back into the fold, that lost sheep of a song, and it became the, the band's first hit single. So, you know, 
a band doesn't always know what it has in front of them. It's the same with, with Pink Floyd when they were doing music for um, whatever it was, The Valley Obscured by Clouds, and they brought that back, I think, in order to be part of us and them, you know, from their huge selling um, Dark Side of the Moon. That's what bands do when they've got excess material, but there it was staring them in the face, and there it was staring Genesis in the face, and after I'd done Shadow of the Hierophant, um, Tony Banks said to me, you know, we could have used that for Genesis. And I thought, well, three years later, it's unlikely that it's going to have a reappraisal by the band that's going to be used, but um, there you go. At least it had three members of Genesis on it. Um, and, um, and also my brother. So, you know, you had a three-man team of Genesis plus the Hackett brothers. And um, uh, so I think it was very, very powerful, and I, I'm very proud of it. It's very, and it's all, the whole thing ends up seamless on this particular recording to the point where you go, oh, okay, as I'm listening to it, it, it melds really well with what's actually on seconds out. Um, it, it was, the, yeah, I like to think so. So I'm, I'm not moving too far away from the spirit of Genesis and, and those Genesis sessions. So, you know, it, it, Genesis is a tree with many branches. To that point, we're coming up on a half year since... What, what, what I believe we all believe you might have better, somewhat of a better idea, having been in the band and knowing the personalities involved. But best as we could tell, when Phil Collins said at the show in London that this is the final Genesis show, that that might actually be it, and then you start seeing the whole label of Genesis Live nineteen whenever to sent to twenty twenty two. I can't the years of slip in my mind, but you'd start to see that stuff in the media like that was the final Genesis show. So let's go with the presumption if that if if they are done as a live band. And you being part of Genesis, the history of Genesis, yeah. assess yeah. the live legacy. I never say never with any group that they'll never, ever, 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 ever do anything again, but assess the live legacy. You were talking about the spirit of Genesis. Assess that as one of the very few who was part of that. Well, for me, I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout sort of way. Um, they were doing their final... Now, I know Peter Gabriel uh, turned up and the pictures with him and everything, although he wasn't performing. Um, I would have done the same, but I'd undertaken to do um, a show that had been, uh, a tour that had been postponed for, for a long time, and that was to go back and honor those commitments in the United States. And so I felt if I'm going to do that, I better not turn up at a show where I'm likely to catch COVID and then all those fans are let down again. So um, I didn't do that. Now, I, I honor the spirit of the early work of the band with at least half of my show, if not more so. And um, it's important for me to do that because I think that those songs were incredibly well composed, beautifully written, wonderful um, harmonic progressions, and I wouldn't really think that a lot of it is, is the best of, of the British. Now, John Lennon said at one point that there, there were a couple of bands that he considered to be true sons of the Beatles, and one of those was Genesis. Now, I had no idea at the time that he was getting stuff sent to him in New York from Nursery Crime onwards, and that's the album that Phil Collins and I both joined the band on. So I'm very proud of that because we spent so much time learning from the Beatles. Um, and so I think, um, uh, for me, 
it isn't over. The dream isn't over. Unlike, you know, Lennon's comment about the Beatles, the dream is over. It isn't over because, for me, the spirit of that goes on. And, you know, with that level of encouragement from all sorts of courses where, um, you know, I've, I've had the ear of people as disparate as John Lennon and Yehudi Menuhin, a classical musician, using stuff that I've written. So I realize it must touch upon a number of people from a number of different schools. And so if you put it all together, it seems that it's, it's either fusion or it's collision. Uh, progressive doesn't doesn't begin to even describe it. Um, those songs are really, uh, truly wonderful. And um, I'm going to go out and perform the whole of Foxtrot next. I'm in rehearsals as of two days' time for me with my band, and um, I'm looking forward to that tremendously because I know we'll be bringing people's dreams alive again. Um, it's lovely work. I think Foxtrot is a fabulous album, as it happens, and so there will be a live album of that inevitably, but there is crossover with, um, with Foxtrot. You know, this, the whole of Supper's Ready, where you have 23 minutes of the, of the original Supper's Ready being performed to the letter. And that, for me, yeah, perfect length for, for, for a hit single. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's because live shows at a time when we weren't getting um, radio support was all important. All we had was the live shows and the dedication of fans who came to see it. And I cannot let that dream die um, just because, you know, uh, the official genesis may say that um, they're hanging up their spurs and that's it. And I realize, you know, with Phil's health, of course, they won't go out and do another show with him. You know, that's that's plainly obvious, unless he suddenly decides, yeah, it'll be mind over matter, and he's going to do that no matter what. And everyone is entitled to do that, but the likelihood is um, that what I'm doing will be you know, the nearest thing, um, but there'll be different players. There'll be different interpreters of that. But... You know, if you consider this to be the classical music of tomorrow, and I know Richie Havens was telling me that's where he considered it to be uh, when I was working with him, then you have to remember that if you go and watch Brass or Tchaikovsky or Beethoven, it's all tribute bands doing it because we're never going to get the original out there. They're long gone, but the quality of the work is what sustains and makes it immortal. And so I have to say I was, you know, hugely proud when Genesis was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it has to be the music that survives. And continue. Um, oh, go, go on. Yeah, you know, and so um, I'm not going to let that die. It's important to me, having sweated blood for it back in the day, and I, I do truly believe in it. You know, whether I write something in the spirit of Genesis, I mean, I've got songs like Camino Royale, and part of that was from a Genesis dream. So um, I know that I'm at one with the spirit of it, and um, it was a brilliant band, and who knows, we may not see it's like again, but it's important for me to get out there while I'm able-bodied and of sane mind <laughs> <laughs> um, 
to go out there and, and, you know, really kick ass with this stuff. There's plenty to listen to in the interim. And now this one, Genesis Revisited Live, Seconds Out and More, out now. The next tour, Foxtrot at 50, let's hack Hackett Highlight starts in Swansea in a week, and we'll see eventually more over here in the States, and there's all sorts of new stuff coming. Thank you for doing what you do once again. It's always a great, great chat with you, and looking forward to more content coming down the road and get a chance to talk to you in the future, hopefully. So all the best, Steve, and thanks for, for doing this. Thank you, all the best on tour. Thank you. All the best to you. It's always a fun chat with Steve Hackett. It's always I I feel musically smarter after I talk to him. He's, he's, he's such a musician, such a stutter, stu- wow, such a a student. That's what I'm trying to say of theory, and that was a that was a fascinating convo. Uh, you heard the name of the album. Listen to it. Uh, if you want to do the A-B thing with the original Seconds Out, go for it. You, it. It'll be a blast to do. That's what I'm going to do. And it, it, this this Genesis Revisited Live is a great, great recording. Give it a listen. A high, high-quality performance. You can learn more about what Steve Hackett is doing at HackettSongs.com. HackettSongs.com. Um, to learn about all the things that he's up to, and there is a lot that he's up to, and there's a pretty decent chance that his band will be coming your way at some point in the future. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Uh, thanks, as always, to Greatest Hits 98.1, my uh, my radio station in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, my employer, for providing the facilities to do a lot of these interviews. You can listen to a lot of these interviews at greatesthits981.com, uh, where it says Features at the top. Put your mouse over that. Drop down says Interviews and click there. And you can listen to it in some cases, watch a lot of these interviews. Uh, you can also go to the Greatest Hits 98.1 YouTube channel. A lot of the same interviews are there. Uh, thanks to Hadley Wolfram with Chipster PR for helping to set up this interview. Thanks to uh, Joe Hackett for helping to arrange a lot of this as well on, on Steve Hackett's uh, end. Uh, got time for a quick story. You can find the podcast, a lot of the usual podcast platforms. Subscribe to it so you know when new episodes arrive. And rate it preferably higher should spread the word around even more about this podcast. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.